Good morning. I want to draw you back to your seats as we begin time in our service where we come under God's word and hear from it, learn from it, and learn how to apply it to our lives. We have, the last two weeks, been looking at the book of Proverbs, and we'll continue to do that this morning. This morning, our topic from the book of Proverbs is on humility, humility. Um, This week, I also decided that at the beginning of next year, that we're going to continue looking at the book of Proverbs and taking a topical look at all the ways that Proverbs informs our lives. So we're going to be looking at marriage, uh, intimacy, envy, work, and so on and so forth. So I look forward to that beginning of this next year coming up that we're going to be looking at what the Proverbs says for all aspects of our lives. But for this morning, we're going to be looking at what the Proverbs says about humility. In your bulletin, you'll find our passages that we'll be looking at this morning with one small correction. In your bulletin, it says 11-2. We just didn't communicate very well. It's supposed to be Proverbs 3 3 through 8 and then verses 11 through 12. So uh, it's not Proverbs 11-12. It's Proverbs 3 verses 11 through 12. So it is not right in your bulletin. You're just going to have to trust what I say or you just open your Bibles and see that, okay? So it's right there. It's all from Proverbs 3 with the exception of Proverbs 11-2. With that being said, would you turn your attention to God's word? Um, there's a, two separate passages. First, Proverbs 11-2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Now, Proverbs 3, 3 through 8, then 3, 11 and 12. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now three, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Look, do you want to be wise? Do you want to be wise according to the book of Proverbs. If so, the doorway to wisdom is humility. When pride comes, Solomon says, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. If humility then is the doorway to wisdom, then it's vital that we open ourselves up to humility. Unfortunately, the current of our world, though, is not to embrace humility. It's actually to push it away. I think this is partly because humility is often misunderstood. We, we rarely have examples of people embracing it, and it's downright ignored. You know, we live in a world that elevates those who are self-reliant and strong. Just consider what is celebrated on our television sets, on our screens of our phone. Who are the most glamorous, the glorious It's those who have skill, knowledge, intellect, and beauty. And so like fools, 
We seek after this, thinking, oh, I can do this. I can be wise. I can get it just like them. I can be strong. I can be skillful just like them. And, and I'll, I'll get wisdom if I do these things. So we seek skill, knowledge, intellect, and beauty with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because this is what the world tells us is wise. But according to Proverbs, we are foolish if we do this. No, the way to wisdom is through the door labeled humility. Now, humility, according to Solomon, I think is summarized perfectly in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a great verse to memorize because I think it captures, it's the doorway from which we become wise. It says this, remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You know, humility is not some weenie disposition where it's like, I'm just so bad. It's just not, it's like, ugh. That's not humility. If we think that, it's, it's not true. No, humility is something that we can embrace that most people don't. Humility is simply put, trust. How to get wisdom? Humility. What is humility? Trust. Trust is the door that will lead us out of a life of foolishness and into a life of wisdom. And the question for each and every one of us today is, will we open that door? The door that says trust. Look, our world is longing for wise people. And the only way that we can be wise people that our world is longing for and calling out for is if we walk through that door labeled trust. And if you have the courage, and certainly it takes great courage to walk through that door that says trust, if you have that courage, you must know three things about what's behind that door. Because if we're really going to be wise, we have to open that door and then embrace the life of trust. Now Solomon says there's three things, there's three areas in which we have to trust if we're going to be wise, because it's not just some you know, pie in the throat. No, there's three specific examples that he wants us from Proverbs 3 that we have to trust. Three things we have to take hold of. If, if you want to put it this way, there's three pieces of clothing that we've got to put on. And here are the three clothings that we have to do. We've got to trust God's love. This is what humility is, trusting God's love. Secondly, we've got to trust God's law. And thirdly, we gotta trust God's leadership. These are the articles of clothing that we must put on if we're gonna be humble, if we're gonna have wisdom. So let's consider these things before walking through the door that is trust. First, trusting God's love. In verse three, let me remind you, Solomon says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. If we're to open the door that leads to wisdom, we will have to know that one of the things that we're gonna have to trust in going through that door is God's love. But here's the thing about God's love. God's love is not dependent on what you've done or what you've not done. It is a love that is situated in God and in God alone. When, Paul, when uh, Solomon says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, there is a specific word that he has chosen to indicate that steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word 
hesed. Hesed is a covenant word. It's a word that is rooted in how God has moved towards his people, a people full of sin. You see, we live in this world. What we see on the TV screens and what we've experienced in our life is you get love when you've done something right or when you refrain from something that you're supposed to not do. And so we think the same thing with God, that God's love for us is dependent on what we have done. But Solomon says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works in God's economy. No, the only way that you can be with God is God moving towards you. Now, thanks be to God, our gracious Father, who has moved towards us, but he has not moved towards us because we've done something right. He's moved towards us because he is gracious and because he is faithful to his promises. Yes, as Christians, what we take hold of more than anything is Jesus and what he has done for us, not what we have done. Yes, Jesus lived the life that we were called to live. He did all that the law required. He didn't do what the law forbid. In his life, he received the favor of God. But in his death, he gave up his life for us, an atoning death, a death that he didn't deserve, a death that we, we, we should have deserved, but a death he received. Why? So that those who trust him might not taste the same death. It's a death that satisfies God's wrath for those who trust him. His resurrection, as Christians, we hold to his resurrection. Why? Because it's the promise that all that Christ did in his life and in his death, it worked. That his forgiveness worked. That that, that it's not going to turn away. It's all about God. And then in his ascension, he continues to intercede for us at the right hand of God. It's there he rules for us. And then he, there he pleads for us. You see, our standing with God, God's love towards us has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Christ. Everything. And this, this is not easy. I read this story of this pastor named Bill. He said, one evening I came home from work to be greeted by my frustrated wife. She said, we need to ride. Uh-oh, he thought, I'm in trouble. So he tried to stall, saying, what about the kids? She said, I'll take care of them. They're fine. So they got in the car, and Bill was racking his brain, trying to figure out what he had done wrong, but he really couldn't think of anything. He was a good man. He was a good dad. He provided for his family, and he was faithful to his wife, but yet she was clearly upset with him. So he said when they got into the car, where are we going? And she said, north. So Bill started to drive north, and for the better part of 30 minutes, they sat in silence. Bill was so nervous that sweat began soaking through his suit. I mean, his wife had never done anything like this, though he could tell that she'd been preparing for some time for a moment like this. She had this peace and clear presence of mind that was unnerving to him. After about 30 minutes, she motioned for him to pull the car over. And they came to a stop. And then she spoke. I want you to know, she said, you're a great father, a good provider. And I know that you love me, but I am extremely unhappy. And, and then Bill interrupted voice that's louder than most. What? How dare you? Yes, I'm a good father. I work hard for my family. How can you say that you're not happy? 
He continued on this line for some time, and then he got out of the car, frustrated and upset, thinking, how could she? How dare she? So he sat outside, and he finally calmed down, and then had to rejoin Grace in the car. And she was still calm and peaceful. She wasn't unnerved by his antics. And finally she said, you want to know why I'm unhappy? Bill, in a better place of mind, said, all right, yeah, why are you unhappy? And she said, you won't let me love you. You don't trust me. I want to be all I can for you, but you won't let me. And then tears began to fill her eyes at this point, and she concluded with this. Please hear me. To have a relationship, I have to be able to love you. Look, one of the greatest struggles that all of us face on a day-to-day basis is a willingness to be loved. Not to love, but to be loved. Allow our needs to be known and then allow our needs to be met. And this applies to our relationship with God. Like Bill, we do all that we can for God and we think somehow, some way, God is gonna be happy with us because of what we have done for him. That that, that this is the way to wisdom. But just like Bill and his wife, the way to wisdom is to not trust in our own selves to get that love. It's to trust in the love that God has for us that is independent of us. We must bind the steadfast love of God around our heart, knowing that it is nothing that we have done that has brought it to us. We must trust it. We must write it on the doorposts of our heart. God's love for me is independent of myself. This is what Solomon is calling us to in order to have wisdom, to be humble and to say, it ain't anything that I've done. It's what you have done for me. Your love for me is not based on me. Do you see how upside down this is? Do you see how countercultural this is to the world? We have to take hold of the covenant love that is based in God and in God alone. So my friends, as you move into the world, you're gonna have to take risks. To those of you that are dating Every time you go on a date, you're risking rejection. But you have to know that whether that person accepts you or rejects you, you are still loved by God regardless of what that person does to you. Or when you enter into your boss's office for a job evaluation, whether it goes well or goes poorly, you have to know that God loves you because he loves you. See, And all that we do, Every breath we take, every action that we commit to and do, we have to trust God's love regardless of what happens because what happens to us in that moment doesn't define us. God's love defines that and we have to trust that. There's nothing more important in our day-to-day life than to trust God's love. This is what Solomon ends up saying secures us in any situation we face. Yes, this takes some discipline. It takes discipline to let God love us. And that's why I think it's at at Central. It is so important that we spend time in God's word every day. We have to reformat our mind in thinking about our interaction with the word of God. That the, the word of God is not us trying to like earn God's love. It's to receive God's love that already exists for us. 
So we saturate ourselves in the word of God. We memorize it. We put it on the tablets of our heart so that when we face those situations, those situations that we face that could crush us, don't crush us. We're secure in the love of God that we trust. If we're to open the door that leads to wisdom, we have to know that we're gonna have to trust God's love. This is the way to wisdom. But there's a second thing that we must know that we're gonna be asked to trust, and that's God's law. Not just God's love, but secondly, God's law. Draw your attention to verse seven. Solomon tells his sons and us this. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You see, in trusting God and experiencing wisdom that comes from trusting God, we are going to be asked to live a particular way. And this is the way. Rejecting the way of the world and what it defines as right and good and taking hold of what God says is right and good. Turn away from evil, Solomon says. How do we define evil? It's anything that it goes against God's law. So we must embrace God's law for our life, his goodness and righteousness. Yes, that means following his commands. And we, we have to see this. Following God's commands, trusting God's law is not to earn his righteousness. It's because his love is already with us and we trust him saying, yes, this is the way we should go because you are good and I trust your way. When we, when we open that door, we're being called to trust God's law. But friends, this is difficult. I struggled with this, and I continue to struggle with this, but I found out two years ago uh, that I wasn't doing this well. You see, I've told many of you this before, but I ended up in the heart hospital because of a lot of stress and a lot of, uh, of things that were going on in my own life, particularly as it pertains to my job. You see, one Friday morning, I was experiencing several symptoms that could have been related to a heart attack or a stroke. I had numbness down the left side of my arm. I had tingling in my face. I felt nauseous. My speech was slurring. I also knew that I had a bad EKG reading, and so I was like, I gotta go to the heart hospital. I don't think this is good. And of course, it was a scary moment for me to go to the heart hospital but after I got hooked up all to all the machines that, that, that were to like measure myself and to see if I indeed was having a heart attack, two of my friends came, one being my wife and the other a friend named Brent. I had been planning to play golf with Brent that day, but he left the golf course to come be at my bedside. And look, I was lucid and clear in that moment. And while sitting with Kimberly to my left and Brent to my right, I recalled for them the devotional that I had that, that morning from Joshua. In Joshua, there's this scene where the, the commander of the Lord's army meets with Joshua, who's the, the leader of Israel. And Joshua goes, who are you for? Are you for us or are you for them? <laughs> and he says, I'm not for either of you. <laughs> You're for me. And there was this lucid moment, this, this powerful picture that I had of, 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 of God saying to me in this moment, You're for me. I don't work for you. You see, I had not been resting. Most weeks I'd been working six, six and a half to seven days a week. 
My wife would constantly remind me, you're not taking a day off. You need to take a day off. I had this incredible pressure. I wanted this church to get established. I wanted the roots to go down deep, and I felt like everything, the way that that would get done is if I'm the one digging, if I'm the one planting, if I'm the one constantly doing all this work, and of course, not taking a day off was an immense pressure on my shoulders. And so that picture of the Lord saying to Joshua, you're for me, (laughs) you're working for me, hit me so hard. And I'm sitting on that bed, and I'm caught up with this, overwhelmed by the stress that I was living under. And I started to confess how I had not been resting, how I had not been trusting, how I had been trying to build the church in my own strength. And I began to weep, unlike I'd ever weeped before in my life. The the, the crushing weight of stress that was on my shoulders in that moment started to relieve itself as I cried, and as I confessed my sin. I sat there crying because I had been trusting in myself, convicted that I had not embraced God's law, a law that says to rest, to trust me on on the day of the week when you're called to rest. I had been caught right then and right there of not trusting God to build his church, to establish it. You know what happened to my blood pressure? It immediately dropped. And two hours later, I was released from the hospital. I reflect on that moment, and I think it's profound. I remember what David said in Psalm 32, 4. When I kept silent, my bones ached. Do you know what? Do you know what? Look again what Solomon says comes to those who trust God's law. What does it say? If you trust God's law, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You want wisdom. You gotta trust God's law. You've gotta stop trying to be wise in your own eyes. Follow his ways. It will be refreshing to you, and you will have wisdom. I learned that day, it's time to start honoring God's law to honor the Sabbath. So if you try to call me on a Friday, I mean, if it's emergency, I'll take it. But if you try to set up a meeting, I'll just tell you I'm busy that day. I'm busy playing with my kids. I'm busy playing golf. I'm busy doing things that bring refreshment to me. It's way to trust God's law. He's the one that's gonna plant the church. He's the one that's gonna sustain things. Friends, when you open that door that says trust, know that what's gonna be expected of you is that you're gonna expect it to trust God's law. And not just God's law, God's love. But lastly, there's one final aspect that we're gonna have to trust. And that's God's leadership. You don't have it again. I know you don't have verses 11 and 12 in your bulletin, but let me read it to you again. Because in this theme of trusting God, Solomon says in verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. 
There is this temptation for all of us to believe that when we are experiencing hardship, tribulation, discipline, or reproof, that God is actually not for us. As if discipline and reproof is a sign that God's against you. Oh, the contrary. When you discipline your children and teach them the right ways, does your love for them leave you? It does not. No, you discipline them because you love them. You want them to take hold of that discipline because it is for their own good. You are their leader. They don't know what's best. You do. It's the same with God. When the Lord brings discipline in your life, this does not mean that God does not love you. It means he loves you. Therefore, we must accept his leadership. One of my favorite pastors says this, and it bears repeating. He says this, sometimes life hurts like heaven because heaven wants to change you and hell hopes you never do. Sometimes life hurts like heaven because heaven wants to change you and hell hopes you never do. Look, there's a phrase that we say in the, in the pastor's class, if you were deceived, would you know it? For some reason, for some reason, even in, in this midst of trusting Christ and being justified and sanctified with him, we, we still can be deceived. We still can be deceived. And the Lord in his goodness and in his leadership will come alongside us and say, my son, my daughter, there's a better way. And that discipline's gonna hurt like heaven, but it's for his own good. C.S. Lewis during World War II, had a series of radio talks to the nation of England on BBC. Could you imagine that today? A Christian talking to the country about what it means to be a Christian? It was turned into a book called Mere Christianity, and it's a fascinating study and, and, and look. But there's one particular session when he addressed pride and humility. It's called The Great Sin. And there's one particular place that I'm going to read for you because it is just, it's too good to not read. He says this, we must not think pride is something God forbids because he is offended at it or that humility is something he demands as due to his own dignity as if God himself was proud. <laughs> he is not in the least worried about his dignity. The point is he wants you to know him, wants to give you himself and he and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with him, you will in fact be humble, delightedly humble, feeling the infinite relief of having once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all your life. He's trying to make you humble in order to make this moment possible, trying to take off a lot of silly, ugly, fancy dress in which we all have got ourselves up in and are strutting about like the little idiots that we are. Why does the Lord lead us and discipline us and reprove us? Because he wants us to know him. Wants us to give ourselves to him. This is why he leads us. Why would we despise the discipline of the Lord? Why would we be weary from his reproof? 
Solomon says, if you want wisdom, you have to trust him. And, and there's so many situations, and I'm sure that if I sat down with each and every one of you and, and looked at your life, I, I, I would be like, I, I don't know if that's the discipline of the Lord. I don't know. Like, like if you're going through hardship or trials and tribulations, I don't know. I, I, I'm not God. But what you have to do in that moment is to trust him, to trust his leadership, and that he's going to give you himself, and that in that process, you will be delightedly humble, delightedly humble. So trust his leadership. He's going to give you himself. Look, our world, our world is longing for wise people. And if you think I'm wise, <laughs> you're just the opposite. No, the wise understand who they really are. And the wise have opened up the door that says trust. And they have received from God his love, his law, and his leadership. When we trust these things, we will be wise and the world will stand up and say, blessed are you. Thank you for your wisdom. And we'll say, it ain't us, it's God. Let me pray. Lord, the truth of us all is that we need to acknowledge uh, that we are oftentimes very proud of who we are or what it is we have done. And so by your spirit, I pray that you would reveal to us the truth of who we are, that we're actually not that wise, <laughs> that we, we think we know how to live life better than most. Lord, in doing this and in, in coming to this realization that we're not that wise, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would reveal yourself, your love, your law, and your leadership, that indeed we might live in this world humbly and therefore wisely. Or would this church be a place of great humility? Would this place, all of us, be a place where we look to you, trusting you, that we might be wise in this city and beyond? Lord, would you do this by the power of your spirit? In the name of Jesus, amen.